Welcome to PS Let's Talk Love. I'm Marsha. And I'm Solvay. We're communication professors and dating and relationship coaches. And in each episode, we'll be talking about dating, love, relationships, and all their complexities. We're here to help you navigate the sometimes awful, sometimes exhilarating, and oftentimes bonkers elements of all things relationships. We want to emphasize that this podcast is separate from our teaching and research at our university jobs. It is, however, part of our desire to bring dating and relationship support to folks everywhere. Let's talk love. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of PS Let's Talk Love. So if you all have been listening along, you know that Solvay is still in Ireland dancing along the beaches. She has reported back and said that there were no flowy dresses involved, but she did visit Irish beaches. So I was slightly correct in my prediction of what she was spending her time doing while visiting her her international lover. So this episode, I once again had to bring in a guest, guest co-host, just for this check-in portion. Do you want to say hi? It's me again, Dustin. <laughs> My social circle is small, guys. <laughs> he he felt like it went well enough last week. Um, and, you know, everyone clamored to have him back on. So he's back. Uh, so everybody clamoring, really now. Yeah, yeah. This is the first time hearing of this. Everyone was like, bring Dustin back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Or I've heard nothing from anyone, but nobody said don't bring Dustin back. So there's a positive. That's a fair assessment. Yeah. Um, And once again, we're trying to record this while both of our dogs are in the room with us. And has Obi been sleeping literally all day? She has. Is she now choosing to rage? Yes. Yes, she is. Oh, she's chewing on something now. And I'm not even going to worry about what it is because she's quiet. Um, So... Do you remember what this section is called? What we what we do during this section? What what have you loved this last uh, week? Oh, oh, what have I loved? What have I been loving? Well, one of the shows that I have really been loving this week is um, Under the Banner of Heaven, which I don't think I've talked about on the podcast before. It is a Hulu show. It is based on... Uh, well, it's true crime, like it is based on a real story, but specifically, I believe this show is based on um, the true crime book about it, written by John Krakauer. And I've liked his stuff. I tried to read the book, of, I don't know, years ago, and I couldn't really get into it, but the show I am really, really enjoying. Um, it's all about Mormon fundamentalism, and there's a murder, um, and it kind of tracks the the main and the the detective um or detectives involved in it and the connections to the mormon church and there's a bunch of of kind of like religious stuff in it um and it's set in the 80s when these murders actually happened in utah oh, 1980s good good decade yeah great decade stellar so what else what drew you to the show originally uh andrew garfield oh. <laughs> I really, really am enjoying him a lot. I've always liked him as an actor, yeah, but yeah. I watched him in, um, I mean, this new Spider-Man movie, he's, I mean, spoilers, he's <laughs> in it. If anyone was going to watch that movie and didn't know that, sorry, but I think, uh, I think that cat has been out of the bag for a while. So I liked him in that, but I also watched him in uh, Tick, Tick, Boom, which is a musical. It is on Netflix, uh, musical movie. Um, and it's directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda, who is like... Well, you like Lin-Manuel? I, I have like a slight this appreciation. This would not be my first hearing of your... <laughs> I won't say infatuation with Lin-Manuel Miranda. Just a deep respect. Sure, that's a good way. Yep, yep. I He's one of the people that like, you know, when they always ask the question, like, if you could pick like four people living or dead to have dinner with, Lin-Manuel Miranda would be on my list. 
is Andrew Garfield on your list? I don't know that Andrew Garfield makes the list of the top like four or five people I would want to meet. Okay. I appreciate his acting. No, I I would interact with him given the chance, <laughs> but I don't know if he would be at the top of that list. Okay, okay. Uh, but it, anyway, if you haven't watched Tick, Tick, Boom, it's so good. He is so amazing in it. It is like... I can't believe more people didn't like that movie. But anyway, back to Under the Banner of Heaven, which is the actual thing that I was talking about. Yes. It, um, I, he's just so good in it. He's good in everything he's in. I, I feel a lot of affinity for him. Not in a, like, sexual attraction way. Just in a, like, yeah. I just, he, I don't know. I, like, want to give him a hug and, like, have a cup of coffee on the deck with him. No. In a non-sexual way. <laughs> Again, just to emphasize, <laughs> as opposed to sexual coffee. Because they can't see this. She's making strong <laughs> eye contact with me while saying this. Yeah. I, so didn't, want you, I didn't want you to get the wrong idea about my Andrew Garfield appreciation. <laughs> I mean, it's fine if it is. You know, I just know what to I would tell as, you. I would tell you. I would tell you if if that was the case. You know of my love of. Roy Kent. Roy Kent. Actually, not Roy Kent. Brett Goldstein. I yeah. I love both of them. Brett Goldstein is the actor. Roy Kent is the character. If anyone's not following, sorry, that's from the TV show Ted Lasso, which Solvay and I have not talked about on the podcast, but we will be talking about because it, it, it's the greatest show that ever existed. What? <laughs> you haven't talked about Ted Lasso yet? We haven't talked yet about oh. it. Well, because we, we just started the podcast and Ted Lasso is like not airing right now. Well, not there. I mean, I mean, it's available the, right two now. Seasons, yes, yes, and it is rife with relationships. I know and dynamics. That's what we have to do like full episodes about Ted Lasso. We can't yeah. just that, that. That can't just be like a, I'm loving it. It's pretty good at the top of an episode. That's going right. to be like hours. Yes, yes. We're, so buckle up, folks, because <laughs> <laughs> we love some Ted Lasso here. Um, what were we talking about? Andrew Garfield, Andrew Garfield under the banner of heaven. Roy Kent. I got distracted because you said Roy Kent and I started thinking about him. <laughs> Daydreaming. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, under the banner of heaven, it's very good. I am loving that. Dustin, what are you loving this week? <laughs> wow. You know, really the biggest thing for me this week is the, the sunlight. Yeah. Like Alaska yeah. here has been just rocking the sun and it has been nice. And then I spent too much in it today, I'm sure. Yeah, but, your face is red. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. I mean, it's not fine. You should wear sunscreen and listeners, you should all wear sunscreen too. Yes, yes. But I, after this stint of sun, I will be fine. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. The sun. Anything else that you're loving other than the sun? Uh I mean, that's been the number one thing that's been <laughs> consuming my week other than work. And, uh, well, no, I should say uh, I am definitely getting mentally psyched up for my trip to Ohio to play board games for a week. Oh, can you tell the listeners what, like, you're not just, like, going to play board games with some friends. I mean, you are, but that's not the entirety of this situation. Oh, no, no. Um as it deals with relationships, I, yeah. I uh -huh. had a very good friend of mine that I lived with in uh, for quite some years. I will be Airbnb with, so he is, you know, a you know, I don't want to say bromance, but uh, yeah, he's his like BFF, his ride or die. I mean, I guess not BFF, but very good friend, very I, very good friend. Definitely one of the people that if I ever had to say, they said, "Hey, you have to move into this." you know, apartment complex or something, and you can choose some neighbors, I would definitely choose them yeah, as a neighbor. Yeah. Or, you know, a roommate if had to be. Like, he's a good friend who I like to live with and yeah. I got along with well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to, yeah, seeing a bunch of friends from Alaska playing board games. Uh, but you're specifically going down for something other than just getting together with friends. What's the reason that yeah. you're going to? To Origins is the name there of the you go. expo. <laughs> yes. If that's what you're trying to fish out, yes. Yeah. Origins is the name of the expo for playing board games. It's a it's a board game like convention anyway. is how listeners, if you're confused. And I think it's worth noting, like some people might be familiar with board games. Like you might think about like Monopoly or Sorry as board games. These are much more complicated, dare I say advanced 
board games or like less mainstream. I don't know. I don't actually know anymore. anymore. Like, just like, I mean, things that would have come out of here years ago would have been things like Settlers of Catan, which is a pretty, yeah, people consider mainstream now, you know, um, things like that. So, yeah. Yeah. New board games. <laughs> so Dustin's going to a multi-day board game convention in Ohio. Excellent. Yes. He's very excited. This is, how many times have you been to this? This will be number two. Oh, okay. I was thinking you'd been more times than that. No, no. I've been to a lot of Penny Arcade Expos. That is the difference. That's the there difference. we go. Different nerd convention. Different nerd convention. Less video games this time. Yeah. Basically only board games. Okay. <laughs> Well, Dustin's very excited for that. And I'm very excited to have the house to myself for a couple days. Oh, really? Why is that? Because <laughs> I like having the house to myself sometimes. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't have it to myself. I'll have both of the dogs here. Yeah, how's that going to go? It'll be fine. They follow me around wherever I go anyway. Yeah, constantly. <laughs> and we're watching as Obi is chewing on a stuffed animal. Um, you know what I'm not loving, though, in terms of gaming? I yeah. didn't even think about this till now. Um, again, Obi's just destroying something in the corner. Uh, the We were playing on the Nintendo Switch a Donkey Kong video game, yeah. right? It's And listeners, if you care at all about video games or if you played video games at all growing up, if you're like around our age and you're like 30s, you might be familiar with like the Super Nintendo Donkey Kong. And I think that this is like inspired, like it's based on that but it was so hard we were on level two and we were dying like like level one we played one and then we played level two and it was very difficult we are very bad at i i will amend that statement i am very bad at it Uh, dustin's not great that wasn't great but i will say that i feel like we would have had this issue with any donkey kong or platform style game that we're not used to yeah, and it, it just is like the buttons don't all seem to make sense. Right. Yeah, there's definitely more buttons than there was. <laughs> yeah. That's what we do on our Friday nights, Saturday night. When did we play that? Was that last night? It was yeah. Last night. Yep. On Saturday night. That's what we do. That's what it's like being married for almost 10 years. Yeah. Almost nine years. But the, what was the other option? What were we trying to do? Do you remember? We were trying to watch Chippendale. Yeah. <laughs> Again, we have no children. Just <laughs> us. We couldn't watch it because Disney Plus wasn't working or our internet wasn't working. We couldn't figure out which one. Okay. Well, Obi's getting into something that sh- shouldn't be. So I'm just going to intro the episode now. How's that sound? Sounds fantastic. <laughs> Good. Hopefully she doesn't destroy something in the time it takes me to do this. So listeners, in this episode, uh, it's a solo app. So it's just me. I hit on a couple different articles related to dating and relationships that I found. Um, the last one that I touch on is from... a. From Wired Magazine, it's a really interesting article about um, the way we use data and thinking about relationships. So, um, like I said, just a couple different articles that I touch on. So it's a little bit more of a disjointed episode in so much as, um, you know, I'm hitting on a couple different topics. The first is some research that came out of the Pew Research Center. Next is... um, it's a, a BuzzFeed article about dating in the pandemic, a little bit about divorce and breakups as a result of COVID, and then finally that Wired article about data and relationships. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Next week, we're going to have a special guest, um, not just Dustin, although Dustin is one of the guests, uh, but for the content of our episode, we'll have a special guest. Enjoy. We have heard so much from our clients and people we've worked with talking about their struggles uh, and just how frustrating it's been being somebody who's single and dating in the midst of a global pandemic. We didn't really or don't really have a playbook for how to best approach this type of thing. Um, and and I thought it would be really valuable to, to kind of get a sense of what, what in general do we see happening with dating and people's attitudes around dating as a result of the pandemic. The research I I pulled this from is 
Pew, the Pew Research Center. Um, and this article that they have has kind of a compilation of a, a range of dating-related statistics was published in April 2022. So this is really current, you know, within the last month as, uh, or I guess month and a half as of recording this. If we look at 2019, research showed us that about two thirds of people who are dating, actively dating or single, reported that their dating lives were not going well. And about three quarters of people were reporting that they were finding it difficult to find people to date. So again, that's pre-pandemic, 2019, there were already a lot of struggles people were having. And Sylvia and I know this, we talk and work with people who are actively dating. We knew that this frustration existed before the pandemic. When looking at that same population of single people, a majority of people still said that, and by majority, 63% of people noted that um, dating has gotten even harder amidst the pandemic. So people who were saying, yeah, this was difficult in 2019 are saying, no, it's even more difficult in 2020 and 2021, that it certainly has gotten more difficult. Uh, That's 63%. 32% say "Eh, it's stayed about the same. And there is a small contingent of people, 3% said it has gotten easier, which I would love to talk to somebody who feels like it's gotten easier. I I do have an article that that I'm going to touch on in a little bit later on in the episode that kind of looks at some of the things that have changed changed in a broader way um, that maybe would account for that 3%. But if you are out there and you're like, oh, no, it's gotten way, way easier to date in the midst of the pandemic, by all means, reach out. (laughs) Um, The other thing that, that we can see is that those who are a little bit younger have said that it is a bit more difficult. They're saying dating is harder is harder now than folks who are older, um, and by younger I mean under thirty. Um, so seventy one percent of people under thirty said it, dating has gotten more difficult versus only fifty eight percent of people over the age of thirty who said that it's gotten more difficult. So that's not a giant difference, but it is significant. And I want to pause here and just note, you know, I talk to a lot of young people, right, between the ages of 18 and 25, college students, and this pandemic really has impacted their social life. In a, I mean, it's impacted all of our social lives in lots of ways. But I also think it's worth noting, you know, a lot of people who listen to this podcast tend to be in their 30s. We know that from our you know demographic breakdown. It's valuable to remember just how important and influential our social connections are, especially in our late teen and early 20 years. That doesn't mean that social connection isn't important throughout people's lives, but those formative years in our teens, it's really significant. And so I'm really interested as a researcher to see what happens, you know, in 5, 10, 15 years with these folks who at these really important points in their life when ideally there's a ton of social interaction going on, they were forced and for good reason, right? We know none of this is uh, complaining about what we have to do to limit COVID, but um we know that there is going to be some sort of social impact and what that might be, we're not sure yet exactly because we haven't lived through something exactly like this before. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what those younger folks, if this continues to have impact on their um, social interactions, on their dating lives, potentially um, on social anxiety, all of those things could be, you know, could be going up as a result of the isolation that young people felt uh, over the last couple of years. So anyway, that is just an aside. Uh, now you all know what it's like to be in one of my classes listening to me. Uh, going back to these Pew Research Center statistics, um, it does look like a few more people are in relationships or off the market. One interesting thing that I'm noticing in these statistics is that it seems that the pandemic in general didn't change 
people's interest in a relationship, specifically their desire for a committed relationship. Uh, one noticeable difference that the statistics show is that single adults that are younger than 30 are way more likely to say that COVID made them more interested in finding a committed relationship. Uh, so that was a change from 2019. And I imagine that part of that is having lived through, you know, the quarantines and potentially isolation, specifically if you live alone, uh, it makes sense that people might then think about and desire a long-term partner, um, especially when we're in positions where we're going to have to stay within our house or our household for extended periods of time, having a, a teammate, having a partner through all of that. Um, sounds really ideal. And and I mean, as somebody who lived through the pandemic with a romantic partner, um, it was really, really nice to have somebody to rely on. I also think that you can hear the opposite side of that pretty easily. And we're going to talk a little bit later about divorce rates and breakup rates that have gone up. So I think perhaps it's also a, a little bit of a grass is greener situation as well. I know a lot of people who were single through the pandemic who are like, uh, I looked at all of my married or coupled up friends and was really glad that I didn't have to deal with that. So I think it really depends on, you know, there, there, there's just, we only know our own perspective. One of the other things that this particular research was looking at is if COVID vaccine status was important to people who are dating. The majority of people said, no, it didn't matter to them whether or not somebody they potentially were dating was vaccinated for COVID. So when I say majority, that's 56% of people said it wouldn't matter to them if somebody was vaccinated or not uh, when deciding to go on a date with them. However, 41% did say they would only consider going out with someone who is vaccinated. Uh, so I mean, 41% is is not the, a majority, but it's certainly significant. That's a pretty large chunk of people who are specifically saying they would only consider going out with somebody who is vaccinated. And then there are about 2% of people who say they would only go out with someone who is not vaccinated against COVID. The last thing that I think is worth taking a look at within this research is examining why it is that folks who are not actively dating, why they are choosing to stay single, what are some of the reasons that they gave. Uh, and so while COVID concerns do show up on this, it's a relatively low percentage of why people are choosing not to date. Um, only about 10% of people note it as a major reason that they are not dating, 18% say it's a minor reason that they're not seeking a relationship. Going up from being concerned about COVID, the next one is feeling like they are too old. 14% um, note that as a major reason that they are not actively looking. 23% also note that as a minor reason they're not actively looking. There's all sorts of reasons why, you know, people choose not to date. And I'm going to talk about a few more here in just a second. And there's nothing inherently wrong with not wanting to seek out a relationship. Like if you're happy and content and you're feeling social support in other ways, like go for it, live your life. But also I would hate to hear somebody say they just feel like they are too old to actively seek out a relationship. Uh, you hear stories all the time of people who find love and connection at all points in their life. I just want to push on that a little bit and note that you're never too old for anything. What 17% of people note as a major reason for not dating, 21% note as a minor reason for not actively dating. They feel like nobody would be interested. Oh man, we got to work on everyone's confidence. Then 20% um, note that a major reason they're not actively dating right now is because they're too busy. 23% know that as a minor reason. One thing we've seen more and more of is part of the reason that people wait longer to get married and, and go through some of those kind of romantic life milestones that we used to see people go through a lot earlier in life 
is because there's much more of an emphasis on career and professional success. The next reason why people might not be dating right now is because they have more important priorities. 42% say that's the major reason that they are not currently looking for a relationship. 21% note that as a minor reason. And then the biggest reason why people say they are not currently looking for a relationship is because they just like being single. That's 44% note that as a major reason. 28% note that as a minor reason for not actively dating. If you are happy and content where you are in your life, there is no reason that you have to feel a pull to be actively dating you know, we, so much of our lives, we are bombarded with messages about romantic relationships. And I realize that, like, there's got to be some irony here and that we have a dating and relationship podcast. And I am saying there's a problem with how we talk about these things. You know, Solvay and I started this podcast because we, those people who are interested in dating, uh, who are interested in relationships, we want to support folks who are interested in that in all ways that we can. But if that is not feeling like a good fit for you right now, for whatever reason, we support people wherever they are in their dating and romantic life journey. And if that means that um, they aren't actively dating and don't intend to be actively dating, I, we totally support that as well. The biggest thing that's important, I'll speak for myself as a communication scholar and somebody who's researched this at length is there, there is a lot of research that points to the importance of strong social connections and bonds. It helps improve our health, both our physical and our mental health. We see people who have strong physical or strong social bonds are living longer, see less incidence of disease. We know this. That does not have to be a romantic relationship. It can certainly be friendships and familial relationships. Those qualify as strong social bonds. Uh, so as long as you have that from somewhere and you are happy and content, fucking live your life. So that gave us some statistics around what are people looking for? Has it changed in the midst of the pandemic? The next article I want to touch on is one that was published in February 2022 on BuzzFeed, and it's titled How Dating During the Pandemic Has Accelerated Relationships. And, you know, this is, you know, a little bit less academic research, a little bit more journalism, or a lot more journalism, but I thought it was valuable, and I'll, I'll make sure the link is in our show notes for this episode, specifically looking at what are some anecdotal pieces of information around how people are approaching dating in the midst of the pandemic. And I'm not going to read the whole article to you all. One of the big takeaways that I see from this article, and, and this is stuff that I've heard anecdotally as well from other folks, is that the pandemic required people to accelerate their dating. So folks were getting together in one another's homes way earlier on in dating than you would have normally, right? Oftentimes on date, like, one or two, as opposed to waiting potentially, you know, weeks before going into somebody's home because things like restaurants and other public spaces that were indoors that you would normally meet someone in tend to be um, places you want to avoid in the midst of a pandemic. So we saw some acceleration in that regard. Uh, we also have heard people note just general feelings of loneliness, especially single people in the midst of the pandemic. So trying to find someone that they can connect with. And, you know, if that person is another single person, you're both going to have some of that isolation and those feelings of loneliness going on that would likely lead to increased communication, which can accelerate a relationship. When we look back, you know, we did a whole episode or a couple episodes on the Love is Blind TV show. And specifically, one of the reasons that we think that that experiment tends to work is because they spend so much time communicating, so much time in conversation and being vulnerable with one another that it leads to an accelerated connection and foundation in the relationship. And we see a little bit of that happening or saw a bit of that happening in the pandemic, especially that first year or so. Uh, and this BuzzFeed article kind of notes that, that a lot of the relationships 
that started in the pandemic were accelerated. Uh, there also, depending on the dynamic, it seemed that even new relationships, one thing that was coming up is this mentality of us against the pandemic. So this more of a teammate mindset, which if we look at what leads to healthy, long-term committed partnership, teamwork and being a team and viewing yourselves as a team is a really critical component of long-term relationship success. You don't want to feel like the person that you're in a relationship with is your competition. It's not the two of you against each other. It is the two of you against the world or whatever comes your way. And so the pandemic, in some ways, it sounds like, at least based on what some of the people in this article are noting, made them feel that way even early on in a relationship. And that teammate mindset is something we oftentimes don't see until later into a relationship. Uh, But it makes sense given the circumstances that 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 might be accelerated in moments like this. Another, uh, one of the quotes I want to pull from this article is from a woman, uh, her name is Eliana, who met her long distance girlfriend online in 2020. And she noted that she hears people talking about their partners differently now uh, and quoting now, it's so much harder to feel fulfilled by their social lives. No one right now has a satisfying social life. So the social aspects of dating have gone out the window and they're left with, I need someone I can be vulnerable with. And I specifically pulled this quote because we've spoken in previous episodes at length about the importance of vulnerability in relationships. And when we are feeling isolated, you know, not only was there isolation in COVID, but there was also fear and anxiety. We were in a time of increased uncertainty, and there was just a lot of unknowns at that moment. And people were feeling very vulnerable. I'm sure many people listening to this can remember how it felt, especially in 2020. And having somebody to share those fears and those vulnerabilities with is really valuable and can certainly lead to an accelerated relationship timeline. And so you can read the full article. Uh, Like I said, the link is in our show notes. And it, it touches on a couple different relationships that went from dating to moving in together relatively quickly. Um, It'll be interesting to see how these relationships last long-term. And if they last long-term, there's a big part of me that thinks that they could potentially really go the distance because of the foundation, foundation that was formed. And if you're able to connect with somebody when you're both, you know, in a time of a really stressful environment, it's not ridiculous to think that you'll be able to withstand a lot of the other tensions that come with long-term partnership. Uh, So we'll see. We'll see in five, 10 years how these pandemic relationships are um, measuring up to relationships that perhaps started in a pre-pandemic world. I would be remiss now if we didn't look at how the pandemic in general had impacted those people who are already in relationships when it started. And you probably have seen headlines and articles or or seen things that talk about the increase of divorce rates that happened as a result of the pandemic. And these are accurate. Like these aren't statistics aren't coming out of thin air. Looking at divorce rates uh, for people who filed for divorce in April 2020, and again, this is just April 2020, um, Had the divorce rates had increased by 34% in the U.S. And the folks most likely to be filing for divorce at that point were um, newer couples, so couples who had been married for five months or less. And looking at that time period in the spring of 2020 compared to the same time period uh, in 2019, 20% of couples who had been married for five months or less sought divorce during that time period compared with only 11% of couples in 2019. And these statistics come from the National Law Review. So these are just folks who filed for divorce. 
I would say as we're thinking about statistics and noticing that statistics, uh, divorce rates are going up as we move through 2020. While we do know that stressors like a, you know, global pandemic and having to homeschool children and um, potentially being laid off of your job and having financial struggles, all of these things are reasons why uh, that could lead to divorce in couples or breakups. It's also worth noting that with any statistic, we have to kind of step back and look at all of the factors that might be influencing them. Um, I imagine to some extent, there is just the impact of the, um, you know, courts being closed for a period of time early on in the pandemic. And even if folks wanted to file for divorce or file paperwork like that, even if they were planning to do it before the pandemic, they uh, then were put on hold and we might see an increase with the buildup of people. And that's, again, not to say that the, that COVID didn't cause or lead to an increase in divorce rates. But as with any statistic, we have to kind of look at what might be going on. And there are a lot of factors that could be influencing that increase beyond just like COVID causes divorces. Uh, and and I, I'd say that we still are pretty early into this to know exactly how much of an impact COVID had on long-term relationships. Um, But what we do know is that some of the most common reasons that relationship counselors note that uh, couples seek out support or potentially seek out divorce is financial stress, general boredom, disagreements about parenting, and then arguing about household chores. Those tend to be the most common reasons for relationship trouble. And in upcoming episodes, we're going to talk more about navigating these different things within long-term committed relationships. I feel very validated that household chores are on this list. I, uh, you know, when I teach my interpersonal communication classes, when I talk to people about relationships, I always say like one of the most important things, like when you are moving in together, when you're getting ready to cohabitate is to really be thoughtful and um, explicit about your expectations around household chores, because those are the little things that add up over time, right? That's going to whittle away at your patience in a way that bigger things that we oftentimes think are going to be like, that's going to be the ultimate demise of a relationship. It's not usually this giant thing. It is little things over time and household chores um, and how people manage those is significant. And when we're thinking about all of these things in combination with COVID, you know, financial stress, boredom, disagreements about parenthood and household chores are the reasons people have tension in relationships are the top reasons. And all of those things were exasperated by COVID. Um, if you already had some disagreements about parenting and now you're stuck at home with your kids and you're trying to teach them curriculum that you haven't ever encountered, you haven't encountered in multiple decades, of course, that's going to lead to increased tension, boredom, like, there's only so many times you can watch Tiger King, financial stress, lots of people were financially impacted by the pandemic and continue to be financially impacted. All of these things make sense when we look at what the hell is going on. Why are people having so much struggle in their relationships? And it's also worth noting that the pandemic forced pre-existing couples to spend an way more time with one another than they likely were previously. And if you are a couple that really got a lot from your outside social interactions, if much of what you bonded over were things outside of the home, that certainly can throw a real wrench into the rhythms of the relationship. And for some couples, that ends up being the demise of them. And and perhaps this also accelerated a lot of breakups that might have happened in two, three, four, ten years Uh, Just because like all, just like building a relationship was accelerated in the time of COVID, ending a relationship also is accelerated in a time of high stress like this. So that's a little something about what might be going on in terms of divorce and COVID.
last section today that uh, the last article that I want to touch on with you all is one that a listener sent in. So thank you, dear listener, for sending it in to us and bringing it to our attention. It was really interesting. It's an article that was published in Wired Magazine. It's an excerpt from a book. The author of the article is in the book is Stephen Stevens Davidowitz. And the title of the article is People Are Dating All Wrong According to Data Science. The book that this is adapted from is titled Don't Trust Your Gut, Using Data to Get What we You Really Want in Life. Um, and I'm going to read, the article is relatively short, so I'm just going to read it. Whom should you marry? This may be the most consequential decision of a person's life. The billionaire investor Warren Buffett certainly thinks so. He calls whom you marry the most important decision that you make. And yet people have rarely turned to science for help with this all-important decision. Truth be told, science has little help to offer. Scholars of relationship science have been trying to find answers, but it has proven difficult and expensive to recruit large samples of couples. The studies in this field tend to rely on tiny samples, and different studies often show conflicting results. In 2007, the distinguished scholar Harry Rice of the University of Rochester compared the field of relationship science to an adolescent, sprawling, at times unruly, and perhaps more mysterious than we might wish. But a few years ago, a young, energetic, uber-curious, and brilliant scientist, Samantha Joel, aimed to change that. Joel, like so many in her field, was interested in what predicts successful relationships. But she had a noticeably different approach from others. Joel did not merely recruit a new tiny sample of couples. Instead, she joined together data from other already existing studies. Joel reasoned that if she could merge data from the existing small studies, she could have a large data set and have enough data to reliably find what predicts relationship success and what does not. Joel's plan worked. She recruited a large number of scientists who had collected it collected data on relationships, her team ended up including 85 other scientists, and was able to build a data set of 11,196 heterosexual couples. The size of the data set was impressive, so was the information contained in it. For each couple, Joel and her team of researchers had measures of how happy each partner reported being in their relationship, and they had data on just about anything that you could think to measure about the two people in the relationship. The researchers had data on demographics, physical appearance, sexual tastes, interests and hobbies, mental and physical health, values, and much, much more. Further, Joel and her team didn't just have more data than everybody else in the field. They had better statistical methods. Joel and some of the other researchers had mastered machine learning, a subset of artificial intelligence that allows contemporary scholars to detect subtle patterns in large mounds of data. One might call Joel's project the AI marriage, as it was among the first studies to utilize these advanced techniques to try to predict relationship happiness. After building her team and collecting and analyzing the data, Joel was ready to present the results, results of perhaps the most exciting project in the history of relationship science. Joel scheduled a talk in October 2019 at the University of Waterloo in Canada with the straightforward title, Can We Help People Pick Better Romantic Partners? So can Samantha Joel, teaming up with 85 of the world's most renowned scientists, combining data from 43 studies, mining hundreds of variables collected from more than 10,000, and utilizing state-of-the-art machine learning models help people pick better relationship partners? No. The number one and most surprising lesson in the data is how unpredictable relationships seem to be. Joel and her co-authors found that the demographics, preferences, and values of two people had surprisingly little power in predicting whether those two people were happy in a romantic relationship. And there you have it, folks. Ask AI to figure out whether a set of two human beings can build a happy life together and is just as clueless as the rest of us. Well, and that sure seems like a letdown. Does data science really have nothing to offer us in picking a romantic partner, perhaps the most important decision that we will face in a lifetime? Not quite. In truth, there are important lessons that Joel and her co-authors' machine learning project 
even if computers' ability to predict romantic success is worse than many of us might have guessed. For one, while Joel and her team found that the power of all the variables that they had collected to predict a couple's happiness was surprisingly small, they did find a few variables and a mate that at least slightly increase the odds that you'll be happy with them. More important, the surprising difficulty in predicting romantic success has counterintuitive implications for how we should pick romantic partners. Think about it. Many people certainly believe that many of the variables that Joel and her team studied are important in picking a romantic partner. They completely they compete ferociously for partners with certain traits, assuming that these traits will make them happy. If, on average, as Joel and her co-authors found, many of the traits that are most co- competed for in the dating market do not correlate with romantic happiness, this suggests that many people are dating wrong. This brings us to another age-old question that has recently been attacked with revolutionary new data, how do people pick a romantic partner? In the past few years, and other teams of researchers have mined online dating sites, combining through large new data sets, combing through large new data sets on the traits and swipes of tens of thousands of single people to to determine what predicts romantic desirability. The findings from the research on romantic desirability, unlike the research on romantic happiness, has been definitive. While data scientists have found that it is surprisingly difficult to detect the qualities in romantic partners that lead to happiness, data scientists have found it strikingly easy to detect the qualities that are catnip in the dating scene. A recent study, in fact, found that not only is it possible to predict with great accuracy whether someone will swipe left or right on a particular person on a dating site, it is even possible to predict with remarkable accuracy the time it will take for someone to swipe. People tend to take longer to swipe for someone close to their threshold of dating acceptability. So we pause longer on those people that we are likely to swipe right on. Another way to say all of this, good romantic partners are difficult to predict with data, desired romantic partners are easy to predict with data, and that suggests that many of us are dating wrong. So what traits make people desirable to others? The first truth about what people look for in a romantic, in romantic partners, like so many important truths about life, was expressed by a rock star before the scientists figured it out. As Adam Dirtz of the Counting Crows told us in his 1993 masterpiece, Mr. Jones, we are all looking for something beautiful. The conventional attractiveness of a mate is the number one predictor of how many messages someone gets for both men and women. We are also looking for someone tall, if they're a man, someone of a desired race, even though most don't admit that, someone rich, someone in an enforcement position, like a lawyer or a firefighter, if a man, someone with a sexy name, such as Jacob or Emma, And someone just like ourselves, people are 11.3% more likely to match with someone who shares their initials. The fascinating, if sometimes disturbing, data from online dating sites tells us that single people predictably are drawn to certain qualities. But should they be drawn to these qualities? If you are like the average single dater, predictability predictably clicking on people with the traits the scientists found are most desired, are you, gonna, are you going about dating correctly or are you dating all wrong? Recall earlier the discussion of the research of Samantha Joel and co-authors. Recall that they found that it was surprisingly difficult to predict whether a person was happy re- with a romantic partner based on a large list of traits. There's not a single set of traits that guarantee romantic happiness or preclude romantic happiness. And no algorithm in the world can predict with enormous accuracy whether two people will end up happy together. That said, there are some predictive powers in some traits, some factors that do increase the odds, at least somewhat, that a person will be happy in their romantic relationship. What does predict romantic happiness and how little it has to do with the qualities that people look for in a partner? Here we go. Say there's a person, John, and he's partnered with Sally. You want to predict whether John is happy in the relationship. 
you're allowed to ask John and or Sally any three questions about themselves and use this information to predict John's relationship happiness. What questions would you want to ask? What would you want to know about the two members of this couple? According to the read of the research of Joel and her co-authors, as well as some other research in relationship science, the best three questions to figure out whether John is happy with Sally would have nothing to do with Sally. In fact, all would be related to John. The best questions to predict John's happiness with Sally might look something like these. John, were you satisfied with your life before you met Sally? John, were you free from depression before you met Sally? John, did you have a positive affect before you met Sally? Researchers have found that people who answered yes to questions such as these are significantly more likely to report being happy in their romantic relationship. In other words, a person who is happy outside their relationship is far more likely to be happy inside their relationship as well. Further, and this was quite striking, how a person answered questions about themselves was roughly four times more predictive of their relationship happiness than all of the traits a romantic partner combined. Of course, the finding that one's happiness outside of a relationship can have an enormous impact on one's happiness inside a relationship, that relationship is hardly a revolutionary idea. Consider this saying that was featured on daily inspirational quotes, nobody can make you happy until you're happy with yourself first. This is the type of quote that often makes cynical data geeks roll our eyes. However, now, after reading the work of Joel and her co-authors, there's some convincing that can be done that this quote is largely true. This relates to an important point about living, a data-driven life. We data geeks may be most excited when we learn of a finding that goes against conventional wisdom or cliched advice. This plays to our natural need to know something that the rest of the world doesn't. But data geeks must also accept when the data confirms conventional wisdom or cliched advice. There must be a willingness to go wherever the data takes us, even if that is to findings like those featured in daily inspirational quotes. So as discovered by both the team of 86 scientists and whoever writes daily inspirational quotes, one's own happiness outside of a relationship is by far the biggest predictor of one's happiness in a romantic relationship. But what else predicts romantic happiness besides Beyond one's own pre-existing mental state, what qualities of a mate are predictive of romantic happiness? Let's start with the qualities of one's mate that are least predictive of romantic happiness. Among more than 11,000 long-term couples, machine learning models found that the traits listed below in a mate were among the least predictive of happiness with that mate. Let's call these traits the irrelevant eight as partners appear about as likely to end up happy in their relationship when they pair off with people with any combo of these traits. Race and ethnicity, religious affiliation, height, occupation, physical attractiveness, previous marital status, sexual tastes, similarity to oneself. What should we make of this list, this irrelevant eight? I was immediately struck by an overlap between the list of irrelevant traits and another data-driven list discussed. Recall that I previously discussed the qualities that make people most desirable as romantic partners according to big data from online dating sites. It turns out that that list, the qualities that are most valued in the dating market according to big data from online dating sites, almost perfectly overlaps with the list of traits in a partner that don't correlate with long-term relationship happiness. According to the large data data set that Joel and her co-authors analyzed. Consider, say, conventional attractiveness. Beauty, you will recall, is the single most valued trait in the dating market. Hitch, Horish, and Areli found in their study of tens of thousands of single people on online dating sites that who receives messages and who has their messages responded to can, in a large degree, be explained by how conventionally attractive they are. But Joel and her co-authors found, in their study of more than 11,000 long-term couples, that the conventional attractiveness of one's partner does not predict romantic happiness. Similarly, 
Tall men, men with sexy occupations, and people of certain races are valued tremendously in the dating market. But ask thousands of long-term couples, and there is no evidence that people who succeed in pairing off with mates with these desired traits are any happier in their relationship. If I had to sum it up in one sentence, the most important finding in the field of relationship science, according to these big data studies, it would be something like this. In the dating market, people compete ferociously for mates with qualities that do not increase one's chances of romantic happiness. Moreover, if I had to define the qualities that are highly desired, even though they don't lead to long-term romantic happiness, I would call many of them shiny qualities. Such qualities immediately grab our attention. Just about all of us are quickly drawn to the conventionally beautiful, for example, But these attention-grabbing, shiny qualities, the data suggests, make no difference in our long-term romantic happiness. The data suggests that single people are predictably tricked by shininess. I wanted to share that whole article just because so much of it touches on things that we have covered or will cover in upcoming episodes about dating and relationships. It's so much of what we spend time talking to clients about And the biggest thing that we work with folks on is releasing superficial needs when we think about what are important to us in our romantic lives. And oftentimes, you know, it it comes as no shock what was on these lists that this author had identified, the data had identified in terms of what people look for in online dating. Um, Oftentimes it is superficial. I think the number one thing that we hear people coming to us with is uh, people talking about height, people talking about uh, body size, and people talking about um, just general attractiveness. And a lot of times they share these things with us nervously because I think we all know that we're not supposed to be focused on physical qualities or we're not supposed to be focused on, you know, superficial qualities. And yet time and time again, we are. And it would be ridiculous of us to say like, just stop paying attention to how someone looks right? Like that, that's unrealistic. But I always try to think about what are the realistic things that we can take from the research? What are realistic steps that we can take to improve our likelihood of success? And one of the things that I always like to recommend, and now I really want to recommend, is taking a beat longer. If you're online dating, uh, or if, if you're out in public spaces where you are meeting potential partners, is giving it a, a beat longer like looking beyond the surface for a minute, um, whether it's a literal minute longer or perhaps a bit longer, to see if you can find any underlying qualities. And I think, you know, in a post-pandemic or whatever we are in the pandemic world, thinking about like, what are those qualities that are going to get you through a pandemic together? I know for me, that is somebody who can roll with the punches, that's easygoing, and has a sense of humor. Those are essential qualities to me that Dustin has, that if for some reason ever I was in a situation where I was dating, I would certainly be prioritizing those qualities over anything else. Um I can certainly tell you that I am taller than Dustin, which goes against, you know, the the conventional expectations around men and women in heterosexual relationships. And I think about that height difference. I suppose I, I think about it more often than I think I normally would, just given what my job is and what I spend a lot of time thinking about. If I wasn't constantly talking to people about their dating lives and about what they're looking for in relationships and things like that. I would think about my height compared to Dustin's like 0.001% of the time, I think, if that, because it really is of the least concern in our relationship. What is of much more concern to me is like how 
he reacts in stressful times. Like, you know, when I do things like leave a wallet on the roof of a car and drive away, uh, you know, little things like that. Those are much more important to the our relationship as a whole. So looking at this, this article, um, the other big, you know, the big takeaway here is you've got to be happy in your own life in order to find happiness with another person. And Sylvie and I work with clients all the time on this, on building confidence and building security and happiness in themselves. And man, I know that that's hard to hear. Um, I know that it's much more pleasant to hear, like, you just have to look for somebody with X quality and then you will be happy. But inevitably, and we see this in all parts of life, we see this, you know, people at different stages in their life and in their relationships, we all have this tendency, or oftentimes we see people have this tendency to always be looking for the next, the next thing, right? We look for the the next achievement, the next milestone. Then when we get that next thing, that's what's going to bring us happiness. And I have friends like this. I, I know several people who they were unhappy in their single life. And they said that as, as soon as I find someone, then I then like I'll have reached the the mountaintop. And then they meet someone who's wonderful. And then they say, okay, but, but then now we have to get engaged. And then they get engaged. And now we have to get married. Then I'll be content. And then they get married. And the next step is having a child. And they're always chasing that thing that is going to bring them peace and happiness. And if we're always chasing that, we're missing the ride. And I think that this is a really valuable thing to come out of an article like this one here in Wired. I think it's also just a valuable thing to think about in life in general. But if we're thinking only in in framing our relationships, you know, when you say, when I get that thing, then I will be happy, that's putting an awful lot of pressure on that person and that relationship. And it's no wonder that it can lead to ultimately the demise of that relationship. When we are able to bring ourselves happiness and content and joy, we're going to be much more successful partners for the people in our lives. And then they get to just be an added bonus. And ideally, then we are also just an added bonus to them. And that's a much happier and healthier and more successful way to be moving through our relationships. Um, So if there are a takeaway, if you've made it this far into this episode, if there is a takeaway for you all, I would say take this information and number one, know that the thing, if you are working on nothing else, make sure you're working on finding happiness and contentment within yourself as a single person if you are single or or within yourself if you are in a couple as well. Just think about the individual importance of that. And the second part of this is if you are actively dating and looking for a partner, I don't necessarily think that you need to stop searching right now if you don't feel happy in yourself. I think as long as you're working towards self-happiness and um, acceptance, great. You can keep dating, but do remember that you are probably focusing on some things that are superficial and not necessarily the best things to focus on for uh, when you're looking for a partner, especially if you're on dating apps. Maybe take a a minute longer on people that you immediately would have swiped left on and be a little bit more thoughtful don't rely just on superficial qualities and information. Try to get a little bit more of a sense of their personality, of their demeanor. And I know that that can be hard in online dating. I know, I know, but try. And if you are somebody who is on online dating, you know, think about how you represent those things in your bios and in your profile as well. That get a little bit below the surface and show a little bit more about who you are as opposed to relying just on those superficial qualities. So that's your challenge. 
Uh, there isn't going to be a Q&A for this episode. Um, I'm just going to wrap it up here because it's already been a pretty long episode. I hope that some of this information was valuable to you all and know that next week um, I'm going to have a special guest on. So it won't be a solo episode, but Solvay won't quite be back yet. As always, thanks so much and good luck out there. Thanks so much for listening to the PS Let's Talk Love podcast. We want to send out a special thank you to Medium Build for our show music. And if you enjoy this podcast, follow us anywhere you listen to podcasts. And if you want to support us, it's super helpful if you could give us a five-star rating and leave us a review sharing what you're loving right now. Really, we want to know. And if you don't like it and you got this far, don't worry. You do not have to listen to us again. You can just you can just forget this podcast exists and move along. You can catch up with us on Instagram at ps.welovelove or follow us on TikTok at psconsulting. If you're interested in private coaching or learning more about our online classes, go to pscurators.com to learn more and find free resources to support you. See you next time.